The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Vern Oakley, author of Leadership and Focus, bringing out your best on camera. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, and if you opt for the page version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, or just click the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Vern Oakley to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Leadership in Focus, Bringing Out Your Best on Camera, published by Greenleaf. Vern Oakley is a veteran filmmaker, teacher, speaker, and industry thought leader through Tribe Pictures, the film production company he founded in 1986, where he serves as CEO and creative director. Vern has directed numerous short and long-form films and has won over 500 international industry awards. He and his firm uh, have worked with leaders of Fortune 500 companies, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions. His films have helped launch some of the industry's largest public offerings and have been credited with raising billions of dollars in contributions to colleges, universities, and philanthropies. And interesting fact he worked with Andy Warhol on his first digital portrait, along with Deborah Harry from Blondie. Vern, congratulations on Leadership and Focus, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Doug, very excited to be here. Terrific. So you worked with Andy Warhol and Blondie. Unbelievable. I hope your kids thought you were cool. It's funny, you know, it's like I'm, uh, they, they uh, you know, Kids never think their dad is cool. Oh, I don't I know it? Know that, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, but I'm definitely not cool. But uh, yeah, that's that's really something. And that was um, back when um, I guess Andy Warhol and many others were trying to figure out like what were the artist implications for this uh, computer. 
Yeah, it was the launch of the Commodore Amiga computer back in 1985. And, you know, it was just the beginning of computer graphics. And we take all this stuff for granted now. But he was, you know, doing a paint and fill program. And I was just mesmerized by how he, what we did is, you know, we took a digital photo of Deborah Harry and then he changed her color and, you know, filled in some. And there was a leak around the fill. And I was like being sort of the Virgo, attention to detail kind of person thinking, oh my goodness, you know, like he's coloring outside the lines. And he goes, oh, I kind of like that. That's cool. That's what he did. (laughs) That's what he did, you know, like, you know, you explore. And I I just thought that was such a great lesson. You know, it's like, you know, mistakes can be exploration, not mistakes. Oh, yes. Now, uh, when you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you keep track of all kinds of um, facts about your guests. And I just want you to know that you are the second graduate of Kenyon College on the Marketing Book Podcast, the first being... David Merriman Scott, author of The New Rules of Marketing and PR. So somehow when I saw you went to Kenyon College, I thought, well, of course this is going to be a great book. Well, also, I like his book, Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. Yes. So he's got a lot of great books, and he was kind enough to uh, endorse leadership and focus after reading it. Yes, and along with uh, some other fellow named Seth Godin. Um, You know, all the big hitters. And then I look through all the other endorsements, and I'm just thinking, holy cow. And and some of which I was, uh, I've been fortunate enough to uh, interview on the Marketing Book Podcast. And also, so you started the Oakley Sunglasses Company, too. Is that right? Right. And I tell you, if you give me your social security number um, and your PIN right now, I'd be glad to send you a free pair. Oh, great. Yeah. Because I was hoping that, uh, you know, I'd get, I'd score some sweet Oakleys uh, out of this interview. Alas, I, I believe that's not your, your company. But um, hey, you know, <laughs> I, I'm a sucker. I, and, and I've, because I've done well with those Nigerian princes that are always uh, trying to get me to help them to move money into the, the bank accounts. So, <laughs> but you also did a, book video uh, for this book, and we're going to include that video at your episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And I looked at it, and I thought, holy cow, that's the best book video I've ever seen. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Of course it is. <laughs> it's Vern Oakley. It's, it's a book about doing great videos. So there is also, at your website, which we're going to have a link to, vernoakley.com, there are all a lot of the videos that you talk about in the book. Now, Vern, I was particularly keen on interviewing about this book because uh, it's different from so many of the other hundreds of other books that have been on the podcast, but also not long before uh, you reached out to me and, and I got a copy of the book, we had done a project with a client where we were making these videos. And I thought, you know, he did a great job and, 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 and it was well done. But I thought, you know, I I think there's probably a few things we could have done in the preparation or the planning beforehand to you know, make him really do well, and, and we're going to do more in the future. So I just thought that is a book that is uh, going to help me with, uh, with clients and maybe even some of the, the videos that I do. But before we get into it, I just wanted to read one excerpt from the book from page eight. Leadership in Focus is written for leaders who realize that it's not just what you say on camera that's important, it's how you say it. It doesn't matter whether you're a CEO, a middle manager, or a budding entrepreneur making YouTube videos to influence your tribe. The principles in this book will help anyone who wants to rally others around a message. The lessons here are equally applicable to the communications professionals who support these leaders. As a part of a leader's trusted team, they are on the front lines when the camera rolls. They likely have the greatest influence – 
on a leader's on-camera appearance, and the advice here will help them help you. So, Vern, I, I, I'm sure you must answer this question all the time, but what talk about the benefits of, of using video, particularly business leaders, um, and, and what are some of the pushbacks you get? Well, 84% of internet traffic is going to be video. And, and so it's just out there, and the statistics are astounding about how much video um, is being consumed. I mean, 17% of all the internet traffic is currently used for Netflix, <laughs> which is just a mind-boggling statistic. So we have gone from being you know, uh, isolated cities, counties, states, country to being a global society, and you know, in, you know, for the marketing podcast, we were talking about that fifty percent of your listeners are in the United States, but another fifty percent are in one hundred and forty countries around the world. <laughs> so, if you're a leader and you want to connect and move outside of your small little space, video is the best way to do it. So, how do you respond when someone says, "Yeah, well, that's great for a big company with a hundred thousand employees." Hey, it's great for a solopreneur who's making their own YouTube channel. We we've seen that, and it's and that those are the one, people who are leading the way. It's not the corporations. They're they're kind of slow behemoths, a little late to the party sometimes. Yeah. So you talk about being effective on camera requires a specific skill set. What are, what are some of those? Well, I've always loved the business leader Warren Bennis and. The way he talks about it, he says, you know, the process of becoming a leader is similar, if not identical, to becoming a fully integrated human being. And one of the things in terms of my own background is, you know, I've done features, I've done television, I've done corporate, I've done documentaries, but I started my career in theater and I was really intrigued with acting. And then I started making films and there was a big difference between acting on the stage and acting for the camera. And what I realized, acting for the camera was very subtle. It was sort of about being, is the way I would describe it, just being in the moment, Mm -hmm. being authentic. As the actor Michael Caine says, the camera loves you. And I like to say the camera captures truth at 24 frames a second. (laughs) Right. Well, one big theme throughout your book is talking about authenticity. I'd like you to explain what you mean when you say that communicating with authenticity is no longer optional in the digital age. Well, the reason is, is, you know, I think lots of times we forget that we are animals with, you know, gut instincts and brain chemistry. And that if you aren't authentic, just on a one-on-one, not on video, I hold back. I am more reserved and I question you. And that's part of my reptilian brain and my safety mechanism. That's the same thing that happens in video. If the person's not being authentic or we have these mere neurons that science is now discovering and that I actually can feel what the other person is feeling. So if you have somebody who's uncomfortable on camera, and I know all the listeners have experienced watching something like that, they're watching and they start to become uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm talking about is you have to be relaxed, authentic, and who you are. Right. And, you know, in this digital age where there's less uh, – in the sales and marketing world, there can be less human interaction, at least uh, initially. There's quite a bit of science and, and, and books now about how 
companies that are going to win are going to be better at portraying humanness, uh, which seems to be something that so many companies run from. And yet you say, or to, to support that, you say the viewers need to see the vulnerable human person behind the message. So when you're dealing with a, a CEO or, or anyone that you're doing a video with, what are some of the ways that you're able to get them to let some of that come through? Well, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, whether you're looking into your own camera on your computer or whether you know, you're working with a team and putting a CEO on camera, you, you really need to be in a relaxed state. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to say excitement is fear without the breath. So if you have that relaxed quality, people can gravitate to that and they can feel who you are. The issue for the people in corporations usually is they didn't grow up being on camera. They have a lot of other important things on their plate and they get pushed into a room with a very short period of time to perform. And they don't frequently spend the time to prepare. They aren't, and this is not the communication support teams uh, not helping them. This is like they're just too busy and they aren't used to it. And so the analogy I used when I started to learn to ski, you know, I barely made it down the hill alive. But after four or five, six times, I was able to get down there without killing myself. And after 20 or 30 times, I was able to skill pretty pretty well. It's the same thing. It's a skill to be on camera. And most people, because of the ease of being on camera on iPhones now, don't see it as a skill. Mm. So yeah, you write uh, that the aim of this book is not to teach you how to be an actor or how to give a great speech. Those are entirely different things. My goal is to show you how to be yourself on camera so you can bring your vision and important messages to life. But you say that many shoots, I'm presuming, with some of these uh, corporate leaders, they begin with some kind of negative, dismissive power remark. What, what's going on there? Well, CEOs are the own, their own masters of the universe, and a lot of people have talked about that in leadership books, good to great. Um, they discuss it. You know, you want a level five leader who's more empathetic and open and vulnerable, and those are the ones that are most successful. But there's level four, level three, level two, level one. So I think the dismissiveness can sometimes come from one, I don't see videos being important. Hey, and I have to say, it's not important to, you know, you know, be on my set to do a great video on that moment. I'm just the conduit. We're recording electrons that are going to go out to your 100,000 employees. Right. It's like you're talking to those people. Um, the other thing is that CEOs are used to being in control. I mean, hey, I never have any problem being in control. I'm sure you don't either. And that when they walk onto the set, they're no longer in control. Mm-hmm. They have to sort of allow people to support them. And that is a really difficult thing. And that's why I think it's really important for people putting these senior leaders on camera is to create an environment, to create, you know, make it sort of fun, make it the, you know, the good part of the day, you know, the fun part of the day. And that the other thing, and some of the reasons they're dismissive, is that it makes them nervous, and people don't always react positively when they're nervous or fearful. Right. So that would explain why there's sort of a – they're defensive. Yes. Yeah. Now, you have, 
I would think that if you could do that first video with that CEO and they were, they, it didn't torment them, they might actually be more inclined to do it again. What, what is it that gets the CEOs to start to realize that that was actually a good idea? Well, I, I think it has to do with the it, it's improving the culture. It's the number of views. It, it's the uh, clear understanding of their vision. It's everybody rowing in the same direction. I mean, my brother-in-law worked at a large pharmaceutical company for a while, and I said, "Hey, did your CEO, you ever see CEO videos?" And he said, "Yeah, I saw the first. And he said, "I said, was he good?" And he said, "Well, no, the CEO wasn't particularly good." And then I said, "Well, how'd you feel about that?" He said, "You know what? I didn't expect him to be good, but the thing that I liked is he was actually telling me important information that I wanted to hear, and that over the 20 years or 10 years that CEO was in power, I felt like I got to know him. Hmm. I felt like he was looking out for me. I felt like I established a relationship with him, and that's what we're really talking about. And so." I think, you know, we're so critical, or at least I am critical of myself when I look at the mirror and there's things I don't like, or when I see myself on camera, the things I don't like. But that's not the goal. The goal is to make a connection, to make a human connection that, and to communicate. Mm -hmm. So on the topic of CEOs, what is CEO disease? Well, this was this came from a friend of mine who'd worked with three different CEOs, and the last one he'd worked with um, was his boss before he was a CEO. And this gentleman said to my friend, hey, don't let me get CEO disease. And CEO disease is like where you become dismissive, where it's sort of like the king's new clothes, where you, you know, no one can tell you that you're not wearing anything. Mm-hmm. So it's the ability to really sort of, you know, or inability to listen, to hear, to understand, you know, the um, consequences of the words that you have or the consequences of your inability to interact as a human peer-to-peer versus I am king of the universe, I am CEO. Mm -hmm. So another great line from the book was, you said, I've met hundreds of CEOs, presidents, and leaders in my career, and most of them are dynamic type A men and women. They have no problem standing in front of a large crowd and delivering a captivating speech, but that inspiring persona somehow evaporates the minute you put a camera lens near them. And I wanted you to talk about how to give feedback to that master of the universe during a shoot. In fact, it's, it's really how you give feedback to anyone during a shoot. Well, I, I, I learned this from directing and I, I learned this you know from directing both in theater and film that people never want to be criticized and we have a tendency sometimes when we're discussing what's going wrong is as opposed to giving feedback like could you speak a little more softly when you you're talking about this particular part of the communication or could you be more excited um, when you're, you know, sharing this good news as opposed to, you know, monotone, monotone, monotone? Mm-hmm. That's feedback. But criticism is people aren't going to believe you if you don't sell it. <laughs> what kind of CEO are you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and also, it's an art to talk to people about performance. Yeah. And that because they are the CEO versus, you know, my trainer who's telling me, hey. You know, give me another 10 or, or something who's pushing me, and I've hired them to push me. Most of us aren't in that position where the CEO has hired us to push them. 
Right. Well, now, you've been in situations where the communications people, they were probably on your side, but somebody had to speak to the boss to explain that something was or wasn't going to work with what they wanted to do. Well, that's me. I'm the sacrificial lamb. You know, give me the bad message and I'll push me out there. You know, um, you know, I don't want any of my uh, friends and uh, clients to suffer any of that problem. So I'm happy to say what needs to be said. And that's the advantage of hiring an outsider to come in and craft these messages. Yeah. And all they would remember was that the, the video might not have been as good as they wanted. Not the fact that you took action at the shoot to try and uh, improve the outcome. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. I was doing a video with the CEO of the largest technology company in the world. This is 15 years ago. And it, it had taken us you know, hours and hours and hours to set this up. He showed up you know, 45 minutes late, and he came in, and he did one take, and he said, I'm out of here. <laughs> and, I'm out of here, camera boy. <laughs> yeah. And the communication people are looking at me, and, and I'm going, uh, sir, if you could just give us one more take, I think we could make this video something that will really communicate what you want to say and make everybody in this room feel really excited and proud about having worked on this project. Mm. And he kind of rolled his eyes and he gave me one more take. But at least I got something that could be used because he had flubbed a bunch of the lines and it would have been pretty darn hard. Oh, oh. Now, in the book, you talk about media training, and I'd like you to explain what media training is and how that's different from what we're talking about and why that media training can be actually quite counterproductive for video. That's a, a great question because there's a convolution between what I'm talking about, which is being authentic and being yourself and being human on camera. And that we're, we're the friendly guys. We're, we're people that are commissioned to actually make you look great. Media training is to protect you from the jerks out there on television who are trying to smear you and make you look bad. So uh, there's a certain progression of the way those people attack you. There's a certain way they like to slice and dice your, your numbers or your misbehavior or their misunderstanding of what your company did. And so in media training, you're frequently taught to pivot on the question. So they ask you, please tell us why your company is losing so much money. And you go back, well, you know, we really like to think about this in a different way because it's not that we're losing any money. It's that we're investing in the future. Right, <laughs> you know, like, a, like a fencing parry. Yeah. So that's media training is parry thrust, parry thrust. And you're kind of – you're choosing what you want to answer and you're not answering what you don't want to answer. And that becomes a way of – obfuscating that becomes a way of not being who you really are and that becomes a way of you got your mask on you know you're out there ready to do you know war what i'm talking about is connecting with your stakeholders and your employees and your potential customers or your youtube fans mm -hmm. and they want to see who you are and they want to see if they like who you are and if they like who you are, they, maybe they'll buy your product or watch your, you know, subscribe to your YouTube channel or sign up for the new employee benefits program. Yeah, or help you recruit some friends to come work for the company. Yes. I, I hope that more folks understand that perfect is the enemy. In fact, there was a quote from, um, I think it was Andre Agassi in the book, where he said, the problem with chasing perfection is that it doesn't exist. That's so true. 
It's really, and type A people are really so hard on themselves. You know, it's like I could say anything to these people. It's like, be as kind to yourself as you would be to your children or somebody you truly love, your grandmother or your father or somebody. And like with the self-talk that goes on in type A or even maybe all of our minds is like can be so negative and we got to eliminate that channel altogether. It's that's so true. Just the other day I heard someone talking about how mo- like 80% of all self-talk is negative. It's true. I've read that too. Uh, but I can't I can't uh, offer a citation right now. So, another thing that I would like you to explain to the listeners is Explain the difference and, I guess, the implications of a sincere smile versus a fake smile. (laughs) Well, that that goes back to that primitive part of the brain is like we have the ability to discern at very primal level whether trust, don't trust, fear and run or get a little closer and become part of the tribe. And so a fake smile, you can get away with a fake smile in a photograph. I do it all the time. I have an underbite. I know how to do a fake smile, and nobody says anything. On video, you can't get away with that because people look at you, and they know that you're selling them something. You're Mm -hmm. selling them your smile. You're selling them your sincerity. You're selling them – and even if they don't consciously understand that – you can watch people take a half a step back. Yeah. You can watch people lean back. And our bodies, and this is the new science that's starting to come out, have some, some of the smartest receptors, even more of those receptors than our brains do now. Amazing. And, you know, it is so hard to fool the primal brain <laughs> because <laughs> yes. I don't know how many millions of years those things have been developing, but you just cannot – you cannot do it, and I, so much happens on the subconscious level that maybe people can't explain why. But just like you said, they might take a step back. There's a really good reason why they're doing that. So you explain that when you're making a video, you actually have three broad options, and they are speaking directly to the camera mm-hmm. or speaking directly to an interviewer or speaking directly to an audience. So what are how do you how do you help determine which you should do and and which ones are are problematic? Well, I believe the easiest of all those is speaking to an interviewer. Mm. So you're having a conversation, it's a dialogue, the camera is capturing that. However, speaking to a camera directly into the camera lens like a presidential address or like a, a lot of the corporate videos that one, one would see, is a skill and a craft. And that you can do that with a teleprompter or without a teleprompter. And there's a great divide there because people that are actually reading to us, unless they're trained in how to read, you know, keep us at a distance because they go into a different part of the brain and we can see that they're reading or we can feel that they're reading and you don't necessarily trust them. You're getting the information. But to actually look into the camera and talk to the people on the receiving end in a human authentic way is a true skill. And then the other one is you know, speaking to an audience. Uh, uh, could be the interviewer, could be at a graduation ceremony, 
And that can be pretty easy for those folks who've mastered public speaking. Well, and you talk in the book about how there were, I guess, some leaders that you were dealing with, and they were just wooden in front of the camera. And somebody said, you know, I'm, I'm not like this when I'm in front of a crowd or an audience. So you went and assembled an audience, and, and it worked out really well. So true. It's like, if we can have the conversations with the leaders or the communications team can have those conversations, or you just have this conversation with your health, self sitting in the, in the chair and go, like, when am I? My most on when am I my most confident when do you can really determine that and you can request that mm. I mean these leaders that you had mentioned in the from the book had been put on teleprompter over and over and over again because the, somebody thought it would be more efficient somebody thought it'd be easier for them well teleprompter is not easy and it's only barely efficient if you know if you have legalese to read and you have to say it precisely, but it's much more easy and fun to talk to somebody who's got good questions and can see if your energy's flagging or to ask the question a second time if you didn't answer it well. Yeah, that's interesting about teleprompters. You say that when uh, leaders use them, their communications people usually are not happy with the results. And also, you write that a great teleprompter performance can take as much time as some other uh, communication formats. So, well, yeah, what's going on there, and, and when are teleprompters helpful? Well, we do a lot of work with CEOs on teleprompter, and it's usually around some event, merger and acquisition, divestiture, employee reduction, where they want to say something that's incredibly precisely crafted and approved by legal. And what the process is is that the communications person writes the script gives it to the CEO. CEO frequently doesn't even have a chance to read the script, mm. comes onto the set, it's on the teleprompter, and they sit and read the script. Because one of the things I do is I don't like to have somebody read the script for the first time and be recording it. So I said, let's go through this. <laughs> the let's, first let's... time they see it is when they're reading it on a teleprompter? Yes. The frequently. cameras, oh, Yeah. And so I said, let's rehearse this. So we read it together and we'll change. I said, listen, these are your words. Let's change them. So I'm, I'm having an editing session right there with these, these folks. And I said, you know, hey, this, this sentence seems redundant. And we kind of like craft the script together. So that has a little bit of a sense of ownership yes. for them. And then it usually takes, you know, four, five, six takes to get that. And that process is an hour. Or 30 minutes if you're really pressed and people don't care about the performance quality. The same, it takes the same amount of time to do the interview. Right. Well, and so the teleprompter, what, what I'm, what I'm sensing and after having um, read about this is that people think that if it's on a teleprompter, there's no preparation that's needed. They just go in. It's like they flip a switch and leave, and then that's probably why they're getting frustrated because there is an art to reading a teleprompter. There's even an art to having the teleprompter operator there. Yeah. I, I mean, um, for my birthday, my son took me to see John Oliver, who I love and just think is hysterically funny and smart, and we watched the live taping. His entire script is on a teleprompter. Hmm which I didn't realize. I thought he was performing this thing. Well, he's such a good performer that I don't never realized as a viewer and a professional that he was reading off a teleprompter. Uh, I would say he's performing off a teleprompter because he's using that as his guideline. Well, I, but I bet he spends hours preparing. Yes. 
that's the point. Yeah. It's like you know, it's you prepare one way or the other. I mean, for the people who choose not to be on a teleprompter, I'm sure that the questions, these softball questions that I'm asking or that their communication person or their PR person is asking, they've answered many, many, many times. And so they're going to have a true, authentic, fun answer for that. The teleprompter gets used and is beneficial when you have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and legalese. Mm -hmm. So changing the subject, I've over the years had someone's uh, client say, what is is B-roll and why do you guys need to spend time creating it? (laughs) So (laughs) there there may be folks that are just not familiar with that. What is is B-roll and why is that so helpful in video production? Sure. And I have to say that if we could change the word, you know, because B-roll to me, you know, like there's a great little video on YouTube folks should look for. Get your B-roll. Get your B-roll. Oh, I've seen that. We will find it it and include it on your show notes. It is brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Because it's like, you know, hey, you know, come down to our factory. And then, you know, they cut to B-roll and it's B-roll of a factory. And and then the announcer says, hey, just kidding. That's Um, (laughs) B-roll. What I'm really talking about is I would like to see the CEO talking to a team of people in a conference room. I'd like to the CEO talking to their chief financial officer walking down the hallway. I would like to see the CEO driving to work. I would like to see the CEO having a cup of coffee with a small group of employees. Mm -hmm. That's almost lifestyle footage or business life footage. That's allowing me to see who you are and seeing that people are actually feeling comfortable with you. People are laughing. People are actually asking a question. You're not just talking at people, but people are interacting with you. And that we, as human animals, read all those body language and all those symbols. And so in film, which a lot of people think, and there's so much bad corporate video out there, but in the good corporate video where I'm seeing you as a leader – telling me a message, and then I'm seeing you talk to all these various groups that I mentioned, it feels cohesive. It feels like you're being an honest human being for me. And that allows us to edit the multiple takes of the track in a way and experience you out in the your, your business world. Yes. Let me just ask you one other question about preparation. So Winston Churchill read all his addresses out loud before he faced a camera or a live audience. And you remind us that Steve Jobs spent days on end rehearsing important announcements in presentations. Talk a little bit about how the great effective leaders and and performers practice and prepare. Well, the great effective leaders like Winston Churchill or Steve Jobs, the most important thing is that they understand they have to prepare. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it, I know that's a, a simple concept, but, you know, some people don't think they have to prepare. They think they are so good on their feet. And like Meryl Streep, brilliant actress with 17 Oscar nominations, you know, she doesn't get it right on take one. She spends months preparing, and that's for the 90 minutes of film time that she's there. This is an art and that more and more I experience the people that make it look so easy, it's because they've prepared so much. 
See how it works? Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. So, Vern, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? In terms of being on camera and connecting with an audience, people just want to see who you are, or they want to see the best version of who you are. So it's a journey. Hopefully, if you're a conscious human being who's growing, who's trying to improve, that's going to come out and come through the lens. So as I said, the camera captures truth at 24 frames a second. So if you're a little fearful, it's going to capture it. Um, If you're excited, it's going to capture it. If you're heartfelt and honest and sincere, it's going to capture it. So it's being in the space and being with the message in an authentic and human way. So true. And so a lot of the book is about leadership. And I, I would argue quite a bit about is about your mindset that's important. Absolutely. I mean, we, our minds are such fabulous instruments. And if we can learn to use them and leverage them and, and control them a bit and give ourselves a little bit of grace and kindness, you can be so good on camera. Mm, so true. And it's not about the equipment. <laughs> no, well, well, maybe a little bit, but it's, it's, really, it's really not. So, Vern, what books have inspired your work and, and career? Well, I really have been um, – I actually teach at uh, City University Brew College in the Department of Corporate Communication. And the one that I constantly refer to is Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmell. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, these are the folks that did Toy Story, yeah, the Pixar people, the Pixar people, and you know I like lots of films, but I say you know in the top ten, I think five of them are Pixar movies. I I love the way they tell stories. I love their sense of humanness and humanness with three dimensional characters, which I think is just so powerful. Oh, terrific! Yeah, I've heard about that book, but I uh, haven't read it. But maybe I better read it. And then I also picked up The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. He has a VC firm in Silicon Valley with Mark Andreessen. And it's for the folks that are CEOs and growing their company or shrinking their company or seeking venture capital. Man, he has such, such keen insights and great advice. And then I think if I can give you – one more. I just finished. Maybe you should talk to someone. Maybe you should talk to someone by Lori Gottlieb, and she is a therapist, and it's about her journey with her patients in therapy, and about her journey as a therapist going into therapy and paralleling that because we all start to understand our strengths and weaknesses. And what was really powerful is that she started in television, and she you know, worked on Friends. She worked on ER, and she contrasts sort of the journey for the actors versus really being out there doing these kinds of things where you deeply go into people's sort of psyche and try to help them become a little more human, a little less fearful, a little more willing to love. Mm, Interesting, and I do remember having read about that just a couple of weeks ago, and it looked like a really interesting book. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or heard of that uh, you're looking forward to reading? I will say that Leadership and Focus, Amazon just released the Audible version last week. Oh, okay. 
Well, terrific. Well, now, are you going to make a video version? Because after all, that is kind of the subject of the book. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that if folks really want to go on the journey and, and they don't have the time necessarily to, to buy the book, they should go to the vernoakley.com and that we have – 25 different videos from different periods with little things and, and and lessons you can pull out and it's its own little fun time to to spend there and and see the original Nixon Kennedy debates and yes. why JFK became sort of the first, you know, television president and Lee Iacocca became one of the first TV CEOs and lots of tips and techniques there. Yes, and that was very interesting uh learning more about that debate as well as the um, as Lee Iacocca and you talk about how JFK well I guess when they polled people afterwards everyone who'd seen the television version of the debate thought JFK had won but people who listened on the radio <laughs> thought Nixon had won and it was such a great uh, such a great contrast well we'll include links to that site your company's site your LinkedIn profile and uh, Twitter handle and all the the books that you've mentioned in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com so that listeners can find all that. We'll include the video about the B-roll. And I do hope the listeners will reach out and thank you for coming on the podcast. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Leadership in Focus, Bringing Out Your Best on Camera, the author is Vern Oakley. Vern, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. I've enjoyed my time with you. Thank you. And that closes the book on episode 235 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Aaron Ross back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the new second edition of the book he co-authored with Jason Lemkin, From Impossible to Inevitable, How Hyper-Growth Companies Create Predictable Revenue. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. Right now, laser projectors um, are really common. You can buy them off the shelf. But um, back at the beginning, um, no one had ever done a show with a laser projector and we work with the people that invented laser projectors um, and we had a whole cooling system like the size of three refrigerators to do something and we did the first show with a laser projector and what's different about a laser projector is that it has no parallax which means like if you're in a movie theater and somebody turns the projector from right to left all of a sudden the picture kind of looks like it's sloping downward lasers aren't like that so you could project onto a globe you could project a basketball onto a round sphere and so we designed this show and the second person to actually figure out and do a show with the laser projector was michael jackson oh wow in, in japan and so like we were the beta case so we've been sort of involved in all sorts of cool art and technology and business uh -huh. along the way cool 
This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.